0: The brilliance in marketing is happening at the individual level. So, these individual entrepreneurs or small companies are doing all kinds of work. Like you said, they're becoming media companies. They become the content marketer, they become the idea generator, they do all the video, and they talk directly to their customers who maybe get rid of the middleman. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they do. I still see the future of marketing at the individual level. These are people that will take risks. and like, you know, Anna, I'm sure that some of the things that you've explored and tested for your clients are working really well. And there's probably some larger companies that think, oh, how do I do that? Yet you already know because you've been doing it.
1: If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm sorry. I have to apologize because I have a stuffy nose. So you might actually hear that come through. You know, podcast hosts aren't always, you know, without some kind of sickness. So here it is in this episode. Hope you guys don't mind. But in this episode, I'm excited because I've got somebody different, a little bit different today. I have Marty Constant on with me. Welcome, Marty, to the show. Hello,
0: Anna. It's so great to be here, and I just can't wait to get started on our conversation.
1: Yes, we have some really cool things that we, I haven't honestly, it's, and I've never talked about this particular topic and I've known you for a while and I don't know why I didn't get you on sooner, but Marty Constant is a workplace futurist. She's also a bestselling author of Activate Your Agile Career, How Responding to Change Will Inspire Your Life's Work. And you're also the owner of Constant Change. I love that, you know, the word choice there, constant change, because what's the one constant in life? Change.
0: Yes. And it's spelled with a K, constant with a K. So that's, I owe that to my husband's surname. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. And then prior... Marty, you've held marketing and demand gen roles at Samsung and at Open Kernel Labs, which was acquired by General Dynamics. And so you have got a lot of really solid, not just the workplace futurist stuff that I want to talk to you about, but also kind of like connecting back to what does that mean for startups and for growth-focused companies, fast growth companies. So we've known each other for a bit. We connected back in 2020. We talked about startups. That was when I started was starting my business, right? We talked about working with startups, enjoyed our conversation immensely. And if people want to try this out, I actually did try it out to check in. The idea that like when you type in career agility, just try to type it in. Type it into Google. See what comes up. Marty's article comes up. It's the definition of what that means. It's the number one on Google results. So... We're going to talk about that. Career agility, I think that's so important. And especially as a marketer, I have these conversations like marketing has changed. You know, it's constantly evolving. How do you stay on top of everything? We'll also be talking a little bit about, you know, what is this idea of digital natives versus digital analogs? And what does that mean? And how do we stay relevant as we get older? So let's
0: dive in, Marty. What do you think? I think that's great. Uh, I think that's wonderful. And just to add to your story about what is career agility, it's my biggest trick, uh, very, you know, easy trick is if you want to write a foundation article, start with the name, what is, and then your topic, and hopefully it's unique. What is career agility? And that is the secret for being number one on Google. Google 10 years ago, that didn't exist. So inventing a phrase before it's there is a way to capture something and to own something, even if no one else is looking for it at that point. I love that. Thanks. Right away with those tips, Marty. Right away. We're
1: just getting started. (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about workplace futurist. Like, first of all, what does that mean? And I have a friend and she's a futurist. And so I know a little bit, but I'd love for you to explain what does workplace futurist mean? And what do you think has made you successful as a workplace futurist?
0: Okay, so the workplace futurist came, I first was exposed to this title in 2015 in Palo Alto, California at an Institute for the Future event. And I met people when we used to share business cards back in 2015, with different levels of futurist on it. And I realized that's exactly what I'm doing when I took me five years to research the book on career agility, I was inventing as well as making a market at the same time as that book. And I realized I was becoming a workplace futurist. And you might say, what is that? It is a person who studies what it is to be in the future, anticipates the future, and wants to be relevant into the future and wants to help everyone that they're working with to be relevant. And I'm just going to give you an acronym. It's Following your DNA. To bring your future to the present, you have to be willing to disrupt the model and challenge your assumptions. Number one for D. And you have to notice the signals and the trends. So every futurist and signals come way before trends. And then you have to be willing to act. Of course, there's planning implied in all of that, but it's following your DNA. And that's pretty much what I've been doing. Really, for the last ten years, ever since I discovered something that didn't exist and wanted to make a market for it,
1: would you say you are created a, this category for career agility? Like, are you one of the folks that's pushing this category forward and like this point of view forward and this narrative around you need to be agile in, in your career?
0: That's a really interesting way to say it in a, a category because that's a marketing term. I love referring to it as that, and yes. I would say that I'm the category leader in career agility. So when people, I universities contact me all the time, um, I have an incredible inbound lead generation engine that's been built over time, some of it by accident, some of it intentionally. And when people want someone to talk about career agility, whether it be a keynote or training my name comes up. I intentionally did not trademark career agility because I learned when I was a chief marketer, when you service mark and trademark and do a registered mark on something, you take the open sourciness potential away from it. So I don't care how many people are talking about all these different types of agility. When they talk about career agility, We're building this together. It could never have gained this level of traction without making it open source and not uh, trademarking it. That's such a good way to put it. I understand
1: where you're coming from, though. Like, as soon as you start trademarking certain terms, like, why would someone use it? It's yours, right? So, like, I'm just going to be hands off of that. But when you don't trademark it and people just kind of use it as part of their language and and you use it too. And it's more powerful when you build together. It's not just yours, right? It's everybody. And then you come out with your point of view anyways. So you don't really need to trademark it.
0: That's a really good point. If you're going to build you know, a multi-billion dollar organization, of course. But I worked at startups when I was running marketing. I had limited and lean budgets. And so we could trademark the company name. But the minute we started trying to register marks of all the product sets and product names, we were out of money. And we wanted the money to build the brand awareness, to get in front of the buyers. That was much more important because startups want to be acquired or they want to do something. They want to have an exit strategy. And I figure out, let the brand marketers of the future deal with the product names. We will deal with the company name.
1: Yeah. I like that. Tell me more about like your marketing and demand gen roles. I'm just intrigued by like the work that you did at Samsung and Open Kernel Labs and how has it impacted what you're working on today? Like how has it made you successful back then? Were you working on some of this like stuff that you're talking about today or how did you venture into it?
0: What I found out, and this is why I knew that I was a futurist, I was always a little bit ahead So I was always into, you know, when it was digital or drip marketing or whatever we were calling it then, it was something that was new, so new that my boss didn't even want me to venture into it. But I knew that we had to add the tech on the backside of marketing. And so I called myself a marketing technologist back in 2006, 2007, And I did not worry about the MBA piece of my background, like, oh, I should be a brand marketer at P&G or something like that. I wanted tactical ways that I could build a brand quickly for my bosses and to help us get engaged with our market quickly. Because if you don't do that when you're building a growth stage company or a startup, you are going to be dead within three years.
1: Yeah, it doesn't take too long. <laughs> that's right.
0: I call it runway, right? It's you know, one way to I used to think like, what's your runway? <laughs> it was kind of a boring term after a while. What's your runway? And like when I realized that our runway sometimes was six months or less, it was super scary. But it was for, for early stage startups. Yeah, that's right. We did get more money, but it there were times when it's like, Oh, okay, gulp. You know, so you you know, if you ever work at a startup Be prepared to live on the edge and to know that uh, your stability is, is just a matter of mindset. Your stability is what you think of yourself and your capabilities. It's not what this company can do.
1: Yeah. That's so true. Okay. So now we're getting into like this kind of agile thinking in terms of career. What about, because a lot of folks that listen into this show are maybe founders at startups, marketers at startups, right? A lot of marketing folks. What does a marketer of the future look like? What's your perspective on this? Like you said that you're always thinking a little bit ahead, right? You're looking ahead. And I'd also want to ask you, like, how do you do that? How do you look ahead? Are you reading a bunch of articles? Do you have inner circles like how do you stay ahead today?
0: Yeah, so I'm a, a voracious reader of, you know, all the stuff that just comes through. I spend a lot of time online with current trend reports and that sort of thing. But one of the ways that I do is I find groups where I can hang out. And this is how as a marketer, I got we were marketing to you know, engineers that would buy security software, for instance, I had to find out where they hung out. And so I found out the best way to hang out is to hang out with other futurists. So one of the places I did that was in Palo Alto and became part of, you know, what the future would look like and work. And we built prototypes over a period of a couple days. And, and then the other thing that I've done recently, I joined a book club called Book Flow. And it's a global group. There were about 25 of us. There's probably 65 to 75 of us now. And we got real curious about three topics, the overlap of technology, the future, psychology, and a state of flow. And it's one of the reasons why we called it book flow. We even get into a little bit of religion overlap. And a year ago, we started exploring the metaverse with our virtual headsets. I bought an Oculus headset. I do not even know how to buy one. I just asked people, like, what do I buy? You know, it was the Oculus 2. Everything's going to change fast. But I thought, I'm just going to get in and try it out. And we have people that, you know, are Stanford professors. We have people that are physicists. We have uh, founders, uh, people from all over the world that do this. And consequently, we have a couple virtual reality I call them set designers. (laughs) They design the verses that we hang out in. So we use, I've been in many different types of verses and I've been in the web two version of it as well as the web three of it. And so how does one get insight into the future? It's like, figure it out, become part of a community. So I'm just pushing myself for all that I'm worth to figure out how to operate in the metaverse. I've Giving presentations four times now in the metaverse, like with a, you know, with a big uh, slide background and my avatar. And I've come to find out that ready player one, you can have a universal avatar and you get the full body and you can create whatever you want and you can have it be cross function. You can have it go across versus I'm really interested in that because I'm tired of creating new avatars of myself every time I'm engaged for a meeting. It may sound really strange, but this is where the future resides. This is what our 12-year-olds are thinking about. Uh, to your point, this is what digital natives are thinking about. This is a world that they're comfortable in. And if we don't adapt to the way that they think versus the other way around, it used to be the other way around, right? We used to have to adapt to everything that everybody before us would do. It's not that
1: way anymore. What changed? Why? Why is that happening? Why did we used to adapt to the way things are? Is it because it's easier now to create a different world
0: for ourselves? This could be the subject of a very long discussion. So let's just tackle one aspect of it. The reason it changed is people, it used to be the workplace and life in general was very hierarchical. And we saw as the Internet flourished, you know, for the past 20 years, that the world was being designed by all ages. So the designers of the Internet were of all ages, not the people that were welcoming the new ages into the workplace. So this has been going on for 20 to 30 years. And I think the other way that I would answer that is as soon as gaming Entered into the universe, it became the uh, universal platform of what was possible in the metaverse. And the people that were most excited about that were some of these, they, it was millennials and now it's, you know, Gen Zers, is which I hate to even specify. It's across the ages. They were bringing this in. These are the worlds that they're designing they're designing our future and I want to live in it. And so I am going to make an effort to adapt because I love being able to communicate to a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old in a way that is enriching and exciting um, for all of our futures. Then we can design it together.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So I love this topic. I think it's really fascinating. Let's talk now about my original question because we kind of went off on a tangent there, but that happens a lot in these episodes. So what does that mean for marketers? What does a marketer of the future look like? Like, what do marketers need to know? What do we need to do? And you started talking about it like, Well, I want to be part of these conversations. I want to be able to communicate with the 12-year-old, the 15, the 25-year-old in the way that's exciting for all of our futures, but bringing it back to business. Like soon those 12-year-olds are going to come in to the startups, right? They're going to be running those startups, running marketing at those startups. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And I have some of my own thoughts. Like what's happening right now in terms of marketing that works well? is not like get your Google ads up and running and your blog posts up and like, here we go, off we go to high growth. It's now companies are starting to create their own media. They're starting to look like power their marketing up as if they're media companies through audio and video versus like paying a PR firm, which is not to say PR firms don't have a place in our needed is just to say we have access to so many tools now and especially startups that just want to like reach their audience where they hang out online and they have the tools to do that and create content now. It's so much easier. I think that's where we are today and still companies struggle with understanding how to do that well and tying, you know, their marketing to revenue when there's no clean attribution for it. Like some of the other things I think about is creativity is, and storytelling and being customer centric. Like we all talk about it, but actually doing it well is another topic. So what are your thoughts about marketer of the future?
0: So the marketing of the future, we could easily say, oh, it's about making certain that we're technically savvy. We could say that and that would be true. But the other part of it is about really understanding the art of crafting a compelling brand. People used to say to me in my professional speaking business, Marty, you have to be more authentic. Well, you know, you can hear that for 10 years and wonder like, how the hell am I going to be any more authentic than I am? Yet I know the difference of the way that I talk today versus 10 years ago. And this is uh, the art of connecting with humans in the metaverse is critical. So what does that mean? That means the art of branding. It means the art of communication, empathy, really ramping up the empathy. The other thing that, and these are words, again, they're not technically oriented, but everything I'm hearing right now is if you are not an inclusive mindset, you are going to lose your entire market. And so the inclusivity, it used to be empathy, and it still is empathy, but inclusivity is going to be a real, it it is a really huge thing. The generations of the future that we are marketing to, and even ourselves, we value experiences more than we value things now than we used to. And that's not just a generation, that's across all of the ages. So I think paying attention to the experience, paying attention to the metaverse, paying attention to... What does Web3 mean? We've talked about versus, but what does it mean to, uh, what does the blockchain mean? What does NFTs mean? You know, NFTs, I learned about them in 2015 from some folks in Palo Alto that were working on their PhD on this stuff. And I learned about this. I don't get it. And they said, well, you know, Marty, it's kind of like, it's the world's ledger. At that time, it was all about finances, but now it's about An NFT can be a book, it can be a piece of art, it can be anything. You know, people make fun of it because they say, oh, it's just a bunch of googly, you know, silly type of illustrations. It's way, way more than that. So I think the marketers of the future need to be upskilled and trained on all this. They need to get curious about it. They need to dive into it in a way just to learn more about it so that they can ask themselves, how does this apply to my business? What are the trends? And what actions do I need, if any, that relate to this aspect of change in the market? Uh, so that's how I would, would answer that. And I and I would punctuate that with there is an expiration date for your skills. Used to be 20 years for a set of skills. It's now just like a year or two. It, I mean, from a college perspective, it may be four years or less. But we used to be able to have returns on our education for a much longer time period. So it is a continuum of learning where you are learning just in time, just in context. That's a phrase that's invented by Gary Bulls, who wrote the next rules of work. He is the son of the man who wrote What Color Is Your Parachute?
1: Oh my gosh. All right. So this idea of I'm starting to like understand this connection between like marketer of the future and the expiration date of your skills. And like that was always the case because marketing just changes so quickly. And now with the pandemic, things have moved so much faster still, right? It used to be we we went to school and we studied something, and then we went out into the work world and then we stayed there for 20, 25 years, where I, but that is no longer the case and hasn't been for a while. Trust me, I know I've worked across different companies and have not stayed somewhere for 20 years. But this idea of like continuum of learning where you're learning just in time, just in context, that is a big part of marketing because marketing is like you are basically learning. You're testing and learning all the time. And that's why I don't understand how as a marketing person, like when you're a marketing consultant, when you have your own business. You've got to be testing and learning all the time versus just like, let's find clients, right? And help them with their marketing. I don't know how you would pick the consultant to work with if you can't see their work and see what their marketing mindset is like, right? That to me is just like a big question mark. It is happening though. Not everybody wants to market themselves. Not every marketer wants to market themselves. But I feel like it's a it's a necessity because there's, again, you mentioned an expiration date for your set of skills. What worked in marketing 10 years ago doesn't work anymore. And you have to constantly iterate and learn and test and learn. So what do you think about that?
0: Yeah. So the testing and learning, I used to tell people, um, you know, 20 years ago, the big companies didn't want to hire any of the (laughs) the dot-com explosion marketers that they viewed as failures. Yet we, We're experimenting and exploring and testing and measuring everything in a very lean way. So we were looked down upon during that time frame. Now what I find is the brilliance in marketing is happening at the individual level. So these individual entrepreneurs or small companies are doing all kinds of work. Like you said, they're becoming media companies. They become... The content marketer, they become the idea generator, they do all the video and they talk directly to their customers who maybe get rid of the middleman. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they do. I still see the future of marketing at the individual level. These are people that will take risks. And, like, you know, Anna, I'm sure that some of the things that you've explored and tested for your clients are working really well. And there's probably some larger companies that think, oh, how do I do that? Yet you already know because you've been doing it. They used to look down on tactics of media, like, oh, social media, who cares about that? Yet I always saw the brilliance in all of that. That, to me, moved the mountains. I mean, when digital marketing wasn't a thing and then it was a thing, digital marketing moved mountains way before the traditional pieces of advertising and the way that, that things were done and the way that traditional research was done because the startups didn't have the research budgets that the big companies had. So they had to do a little bit more testing.
1: Yeah. And it's such a great point. Like when you don't have the budget for research, you got to just do the research yourself. And that's why social media is so great because you get these learnings and insights and signals without having to hire someone else to do it for you. And like that might work when
0: you have the budget, when you don't. You know, there's a lot more available. So like, let's just say for the sake of the example, you're a B2B marketer and you're doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, we're like, oh my gosh, you can look at, you know, who looked at your post as an individual brand that supports the bigger brand. So you've got two, you've got a company page and you've got your own page. So we're all brands. So if you are running a company, you've got the brand to manage as well, which is yourself, which amplifies the impact of the company brand. But look at all the data. You know what companies are looking at you. Um, I mean, gosh, if you had Sales Navigator, which I do not, by the way, but if you had Sales Navigator, you'd have even more data. But I get a lot out of a premium account that I can find out what companies, even small companies, I can find out who's looking. I might not know them to the detail, but if you're active and you're communicative, you start to build an engine of interested parties on LinkedIn. And that's just an example for the sake of our discussion.
1: Yeah, totally. So this is fascinating. It also ties into like marketing and the you saw this brilliance all along, Marty. You saw the brilliance of social media. It wasn't like, hey, hire a entry level social media person to just manage some content, make some posts and all that. No way. It is so different now. And I think many people and companies, like they get it. So how do we stay relevant in marketing, because we just talked about like how savvy startups are taking advantage of the fact that, you know, they're taking risks, hopefully, right? Because when you're larger, you're in a step more established brand, you're less likely to take risks unless you have some kind of like a spin out which some large companies do, they have a spin out and they're like, okay, you guys take risks, but here we're not going to. How do you stay relevant as we get older? And let's talk a little bit more about like digital natives. We spoke a little bit about like, I want to be able to communicate and build stuff together with the 15 year olds, with the 18 year olds, right? How do we stay relevant in marketing as we get older? And what do you tell your, you know, when you speak about this topic? How do we connect with digital natives?
0: Yeah. So you stay relevant by networking across all ages. And when I say networking, you know, I I speak at universities. I meet 18-year-olds, right? So I I like to understand. I met a bunch of 18-year-old engineers a few years ago at Purdue University. I've kept in touch with some of them. And I will say this. They have just kept me up on my game. We share book lists. We are reading the same books. When I suggested to one of the engineers, I go, you know, you've learned so much about growing an association on the campus. You went from zero to, you know, 400 members of you're now the largest chapter. I go, you got to write an article on leadership. Guess what? He published an article on 18 leadership lessons this morning. He just graduated. From Purdue. I mean, he just finished his last class. This to me, it's the, um, there's a name for it. I guess let's just call it the great exchange. When you are exchanging ideas across ages, you are working at the intersections of brilliance. And that is where all the innovation happens. And diversity is not just across ages, it's across different disciplines, different cultures, different types of people. This is where, you know, marketers can think about being in tune. And then what was the second part of that question? I just want to answer it directly. You said, how do marketers stay relevant?
1: Yeah. How do we stay relevant? Part of that is like making that connection with the digital natives, right? And, and you talked about networking across all of these ages.
0: Okay. So the other part of that that I wanted to express was know that today's workforce is no longer a workforce. It is a work net. And that is another Gary Bowles term that I was just introduced. We studied his book a month ago at our book club, and he spoke with us. And I used to call it the alternative workforce and the on-site workforce and hybrid workforce and all that kind of stuff. I used to use the word workforce all the time. The way that we get stuff done is through the work net. It doesn't matter whether you work on-site for a corporation, whether you're a consultant or a collaborator or stepping up to help with a technical piece, a technical consultant. So today's marketers will be really relevant if they view themselves as a systems integrator mindset where they bring the best available mindset, BAM, I call it, BAM, best available mindset Together to deliver your work. And so you may not have the staff, you know, you're a lean organization, you may not have the staff, but you know someone who knows someone, who knows a woman, who knows a man that can do something. Learn from that person. I used to learn as a marketer the most because I hired people in Hong Kong, I hired people in the UK, I hired people in France. I learned from them. They made me really smart. I was the buyer of their services. And again, I was a lean marketer, so I couldn't hire big firms. I hired two-person firms. I hired three-person firms in Hong Kong, two-person firms in UK, two-person firms in Silicon Valley that I could afford. And they're the ones that made me really smart um, because I couldn't have them on staff. And so I think that's how you remain relevant is know what you don't know, explore, And test if there's something you don't know something about, and you know that it's critical to the success of your company, or you want to do an experiment, you want to run a lean experiment, find someone who does it really well, hire them for a small project, a lean, agile project, figure out if it works or doesn't work, and then figure out if you want to expand that part of your program, whether it's, you know, it could be a tactical thing like TikTok or whatever it is, whatever your market is. And so that's interesting. Okay, so what I've learned
1: from this conversation is you guys have to hire one or two person firms. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I'm kind of not kidding because it's almost like an extension of your full-time workforce. I don't want to say workforce anymore. Just like you, I want to say work net. But it's an extension. It's like an arm. And you kind of like add that appendage, remove that appendage, add a different appendage, right? And that makes you more fluid and more able to be flexible with what's happening in the marketplace,
0: right? Yes. In the marketplace. Cause guess what? You know, metaverse wasn't used that much a year ago and it's not just because Facebook did their thing, right? It's, you know, we were talking about the metaverse and I was reading The Spatial Web a year ago by Daniel Mapes. So it's the stuff, you know, there's like a versus.io, dot i o is run by Dan Mapes. So this versus stuff has been around for quite some time. Just we, we didn't necessarily know that it was there. So it's really about paying attention <laughs> to those things and adapting to them and figuring out does, it's like trying on a new dress does this fit me? How does this look? You know, ask someone else, how does this look? And if it doesn't, get rid of it. Does this resonate? Does this fit? And then move on. But if you're not willing to experiment, you're not necessarily future-proofing your career if you're not willing to take the risk to experiment. Totally.
1: I... Super connect with that just as a marketer, as a digital marketer, right? If you're not willing to experiment, like it's not good for you, your company, your career. So I super connect with that piece. Work net, I've never even thought about it though, but that is such an interesting term workforce versus work net. Like it's a net. Can you give me an explanation of like what this term means in the context?
0: I drew a picture of it. I don't have it right on me because it's, it's in my computer, but I drew a picture of it when I met Gary Balls. I drew a circle and I drew like the on-site piece. And then I drew, often there's an organizational construct. And then I thought about the idea of distributed teams because certainly during COVID, we were all forced to work in distributed teams. So that's no big deal anymore. I drew circles for consultants, freelancers, gig workers, contract workers, part-time workers. There's a lot of people out there that work in small teams. So then there's like small teams that are augmenting your teams. And so if you take the circle, even if it's a big company circle, they're working in distributed teams themselves. So their work net is they're not all working on the same location. So their work net includes the extra effort that it takes to communicate digitally uh, often. And so that's the picture. It is a picture that includes all of these. And I used to, about four years ago, I drew a picture of this and I called it the alternative workforce. And I said, 40% of us are in the alternative workforce, 60% of us are in the traditional workforce. It's getting closer to 50 50 now. That's what I was going to say. It's
1: much more common. To be distributed and bring it like there's more part time, there's more contractors, there's more freelancers just because of the great resignation and people want to start doing their own thing. So I'm not surprised by those numbers. Fascinating. Okay, so can we talk about the metaverse, please? We also have an Oculus. We just use it for fun. I've played some games, like I've been in the worlds in there and we're dancing with robots and like my kids also tried it out. And I also think it's kind of like a toy in our household.
0: <laughs> yeah, most households, it is a toy and it's a wonderful toy, but you have to limit the time because you can get a headache from it. And all
1: that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No. I max out at 90 minutes. Oh my gosh. No, we definitely don't use it for that long and also not every single week, like once in a while, but it's Such an interesting, it's just so fascinating. The experience is so unique that, you know, we were curious to try it out. But what is metaverse, right? This three dimensional connecting with other things and other people. And there are startups that I've talked to, a couple actually, in the last few months that are building these worlds where you can just connect and collaborate better and like turn on music and be seated at a couch and just kind of feel like you're together, even though you're not together. So this is definitely a a boom in the space because there's a need to be able to connect with people. I'm curious what you think about metaverse. Like, where is it heading? Why are you interested? What are you following? What's the trend? Where is it going? Just all these questions.
0: Right now, I see two really big growth pieces. One is how to make meetings fun. First time I did a meeting in the metaverse, I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to put my avatar on like, and all that stuff. Do you know how nice it was to not worry about what you look like, to be yourself and to talk and to collaborate? And there's tools too. There's drawing tools. There's all kinds of stuff. There is great stuff that you can do in the metaverse. It's just another... Two years ago, maybe we didn't like Zoom as much. Right now, you might think that meeting in the metaverse is, I don't know, shallow or something. It's not. It's really rich. It's really fun. You're surrounded by pretty objects and nice colors. And this is all, you don't have to do it with your Oculus on. You can do this in the web too. But you could also do it in the Oculus. You can use the same... Platform, and you can have just a little bit more enriching experience, and having the same discussion. So that's one thing. The other thing is, and I this is a shout out to my friend Caitlin Krause, who is in my book club, Bookflow. She's a Stanford professor. She runs a company called Mindwise, and she wrote a book about designing wonder. She is one of the virtual reality designers that is in my Bookflow book club. And what she has been exploring and what I have been exploring with her is, you know, all those leadership development programs that companies buy into and bring people together to bond and collaborate together. She's creating beautiful uh, custom universes where these things can happen and If you go back to the old days, you can take clip art, you know, just old art. And you can take a bit of this, a bit of that. She takes a bit of this and a bit of that. She has a lot of photography from mountain climbing. She uses that from Switzerland. She knows a lot of artists. So she doesn't do all the art, but it's her idea of how to bring this environment together. And there's also places you can go to a Japanese tea room that's already done for you in spatial I.O., which is just a brand of one of the meeting places. You can do that, or you can design custom spaces where you can get a lot of stuff done and learn, and you can talk about really important, authentic topics. I've been, you know, in a cave once and we were passing the baton, and I'm like, you know, my avatar, I didn't know how to pass it around, but I thought I'm gonna figure out how to hold that baton because. It's fun, it's fanciful, it's artistic, it's creative. And then you share, like, you know, share what it is that you're learning right now, Marty. And so then you share and there's, in these experiences, there's maybe 20 to 30 people. You could do an auditorium with a lot more than that, but I've done these meaningful experiences in 20 to 30, maybe even less. So that is this leadership, learning and development. I love l d I belong to the Executive Learning Exchange. I run the Future of Work uh, series for them. And to me, this is like I'm learning and meeting people in a way that I couldn't meet before. Of course, I would like to see them. These people from my book club, I just met somebody from Kansas City last week. I met some people you know in Chicago that were from California. We meet in real. Life, two or three of us at a time. And it's so, so fun. But I feel so close to these people that I met in these learning exchanges.
1: You have your own business as well, right? And you, you have clients you're bringing this sort of thinking to them and you speak about it and you're a workplace futurist and that's what you do. That's what you bring to companies, right? What would you say are your top challenges? What are you really trying to figure out? I'm trying to figure out
0: how to connect with the most amount of people to help them bring their futures to their present So that to help them imagine what it's like and to take those, the DNA, the disrupt, you know, the challenging your assumptions, noticing and taking action. My dream is to empower people in a way that that reduces the overwhelm of the perpetual change. That's happening. It can be very scary. Um, I have friends that just like I just want to get away with it. Let's you know retire in a few years. I'm done. You know take care of the grandkids. Done. They're not interested. But what I think they're missing out is the connection with their grandchildren. And I want them to connect to their grandchildren and, and empower them to do that. And I want to empower uh, leaders to embrace you know, the discomfort of hybrid and what that means, you know, less office space, whatever that means. And to really honestly take a look at it and say, yeah, it is happening fast. What can I learn from it? And how can I build businesses out of this? So I don't go out of business, you know, Netflix lost a third of its value a few weeks ago, because, you know, they're having a tough time. And they were like, you know, for 20 years, they were just like a juggernaut. Um, yet there were certain things they weren't paying attention to. And so, you know, Apple and Google and Netflix, like all these companies could go out of business in five years if they're not paying attention. And so I don't really want valuable things to die just because they didn't pay attention. I want the new stuff coming up. But if something that's been built for 20 years is really providing value, I don't want them to collapse. I don't want them to collapse like Kodak did you know the inventor of the of the camera the inventor of you know imagery and all this stuff like why should a company like that have, have collapsed uh, it's such an innovative and inspiring company yeah
1: well i don't know if you have to worry so much about companies like apple and google and but the, to your point i mean there are struggles right that you'd never think oh wow that company is huge and they're growing but It's not a constant path to growth. Like you can't be doing the same things you used to do. You always have to be nimble. So, but I think that's nice that you say, you know, I don't want these companies, these companies that have built, you know, themselves up over years. And then in just a matter of a few years, they're, they're struggling. So, and that happens.
0: You could argue for creative destruction, you know, Joseph Schumpeter, the, the Austrian economist, you know, he said that it's, it's necessary. It's a part of life. Things have to, you know, it's like ancient Rome it has to crumble before new stuff can be built on, on top of it. You could take that point of view that you must let it die so that new stuff can replace it. But there's a lot of people working for those companies and it's hard for people to adapt that quickly all at once if something crumbles too quickly. That's right. And
1: sometimes I think, you know, there are pockets of people, just like you said earlier in our conversation, you said the brilliance is happening at the individual level. I think bringing it back to what we're talking about here is if it's happening at an individual level, it probably isn't happening at the company wide level. And that's where the problem is. Right. It's happening in these pockets where people understand that they, they need to reinvent, but then, you know, culture comes into play and like other people may not want to jump on that wagon of like constantly reinventing themselves. And, and so that becomes a challenge. And then you just want to like leave that company right? because it's so hard.
0: The individual is really interesting. I relate to it most because I've, you know, maybe not been a renegade, but like individual expression and being able to make a difference as an individual. But I heard a man talk yesterday. His name was James O. Rogers. And this man wrote a book about diversity training. And he's a PhD. He's been doing this for years. Of course, he's evolved quite a bit. But he said, it's not about the training, not about training a bunch of people and telling them this is what you need to do. It happens at the individual level and self-awareness. So if you have a conversation and you are self-aware, you're going to embrace diversity in a different way than if you were trained with 150 people with a training session. So it happens at the communication level. It's the authentic communication between individuals takes away the cultural barriers. So when he said that it happens at the self-awareness level. It was so powerful to hear that. This is where diversity and inclusion happen. Well, that's a whole other
1: topic Marty that I would love to chat about, <laughs> but I'm going to be, you know, respectful of your time, maybe have you back on again, but thank you so much Marty for spending the time with me. We had so much. We kind of went around in different paths and I went off on tangents. So I appreciate you kind of going down that route with me. But if anybody wants to find Marty, you can do so on LinkedIn, Marty Constant, constant with a K. Check out her website, martyconstant.com. And I want to thank you again, Marty. This has been such a unique conversation. And I love like bringing something a little bit different to the flow of the, you know, topics that I bring on. And a lot of it is really marketing related growth, marketing at startups related. So this was a a fun and different conversation. Thank you so
0: much. Of course. And I love what you're doing with growth marketing. I mean, this is really near and dear to my heart because this is where the innovation happens. So I can see you planting the seeds of innovation. Oh, thank you, Marty. Everyone listening as well.
1: Yes, thank you. That's the goal. Well, thanks again, Marty. Thanks for listening to this weekly episode of Modern Startup Marketing. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help VC-backed early stage startups clean up their marketing mess to uncover more joy and revenue. For those startups that have already built their marketing foundation and have been testing different marketing plays, but just aren't satisfied with the traction that they're seeing, I created the marketing audit and roadmap offering at the end of your custom audit, you'll get a custom roadmap with improvement opportunities for the next three to six months so that you can finally put the missing pieces in place to start seeing more traction and stop spending time and money on the wrong things. You can learn more about it by visiting my website, firmanovmarketing.com pricing. And also, please don't forget to leave a review if you're enjoying the show.